So today on the Four Star Podcast, we will have our usual discussion of the markets, the economy, and then what we see out there, and a few other choice comments, and also an interview with new advisor J.R. Kirshner, who's joined our firm. I worked with his father many, many years ago uh, at Payne Weber, if anybody remembers that firm. So J.R. is a legacy in the business, and uh, he's now a new four-star advisor. So um, that's, the, that's our menu for today. Let's get started. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome uh, to today's four-star podcast. Uh, as I mentioned, today we'll do a full review of where we stand, and uh, we'll have a discussion with one of our advisors, uh, J.R. Kirshner, on uh, the podcast today. So stay tuned for that. Um, with me today, of course, uh, is uh, Christopher Reardon. Christopher, welcome to the to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. And those of you who have listened before know Chris is our four-star director of development. He's an advisor, consultant. He's a master of all things portfolio and trading and reports, and he loves his uh, golden doodle puppy, Hudson. So again, Chris, welcome to the, to the podcast. Uh, and I'm uh, Brian Castle. I didn't introduce myself. I'm Brian Castle, founder and CEO and, and CIO of Four Star Wealth. I'm an Eagle Scout, a trustee of the National Boy Scout Foundation, a philanthropic advisor, chief dad to Quinn and Evan, and husband to the amazing Tripti. Uh, why don't we get started today? All right. So again, if you like what you're hearing, please tell your friends, uh, sign up to the podcast. You're probably getting this as an email. Um, and if you're not, then you've signed up on the, on the podcast and the website and give us a five for five uh, if you like what you hear. So Chris, why don't we get into the markets? A lot of changes in the last few weeks. And so a final really key change happened this week. Yep. Yeah. So uh, we've talked about this, I think the last couple um, podcasts, but we finally saw uh, domestic equities take the number one spot on our asset allocation rankings. Uh, so it took, uh, took over uh, fixed income to take that. It's at 231 tally scores, or tally points, I should say. Uh, fixed income moved to the number two position now, uh, and it's at 226 tally points. So even we, we saw it not only jump it, but also even gain five points uh, during that period. So very positive there for the U.S. market overall. Uh, we still have cash, but um, cash finally dropped below the 200 uh, target tally target mark. Uh, so it's at 197 tally points and third in the third position. Currencies is in the uh, fourth position at 161 tally points. Commodities in the fifth position at 148. And finally, still in last, we have international equities at 123. Uh, so I think the biggest changes, like Brian mentioned, that we saw is domestic equities. We've been talking about this, I want to say, going on two to three months ago now. It's been, it's been a kind of a telegraphed move. It's just we didn't know how long it would take. Uh, and it was moving quickly for a while. And then for the last month, it kind of slowed down a little bit. But it still kept moving in that direction, just albeit a little bit slower. Um, so it's good to see that that finally did take over the number one spot. Uh, and it's also positive to see that cash continues to move down. Yes, you know, that, that's a defensive asset class. So as that moves lower, it shows to the strength of the market. People are less defensive and more willing to take risk. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you're right. And Chris, you know, the S&P 500 and NASDAQ are now at new highs, right? So we've not only made up all 37% that we lost. And if you think about it, that was a 50% move for the NASDAQ to come all the way back up. 
because when you're down 37%, it's about a 50% move to come back up. So that's a, an unbelievable move. We've never seen moves like that. Yeah, I mean, it speaks, I think, to, we've seen this over the last couple of years, the volatility, and when I say volatility, not only on the downside, but on the upside, um, has just been tremendous the last couple of years. We saw it once again, end of 2018, coming into 2019, we had another massive spike down and a massive spike back up. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've been lucky that the volatility, when we've had those spikes down, has kind of flipped right back on the other side, at least in the market's perspective. Well, and I think Chris talks about the market price volatility. Interestingly enough, the actual volatility in the indexes has now gone to low levels, yeah. right? And so uh, we have some people calling and saying, gee, I want to, I think volatility will increase, meaning the market will go down. So I want to buy the volatility index and prepare for the next crash. So let's talk a little bit about that. The, the Dow Jones is still about 5% below the all-time highs that we hit in February, February, I believe, 19th. And so uh, we talked about how certain groups like technology and healthcare are are leading way, way ahead of certain groups like dividend stocks, which is Dow Jones and Russell 1000 Value, mm-hmm. dividend names, old blue, we called them blue chips in the old days. I don't hear that much anymore. Anyway, so there's a big divergence between groups, but the average S&P 500 name is above water. And we're kind of 3% above uh, the, at new highs, above where we were last time we broke to new highs. Uh, Four Star has a program where we have protection for the downside for investors so such that when the markets do go through that episode we went through in March and April and crashes within about maybe 10 to 15 percent down from the high we start raising cash and getting risky assets out of the markets and waiting and sitting on the sidelines. Two portfolios go to 50 percent cash and two go to 100 percent cash and by about the third week into this big decline, we were maximum cash levels after four different movements. Then after a month or so sitting there with that cash, we started getting signals to get back in when we bottomed. So that's what we call our our protection program. And we've only done that in my career. We designed it many years ago, refined it many different times and different triggers and things like that. But the general idea is about the same. And we've only actually performed that five times uh, in my entire career. So when you think about it, how often does the market get that extreme? Not that often, really. Um, although we live in fear of the next crash, we always focus on the next crash. And the old line that military generals are always fighting the last war. Well, we'd rather actually be ready for the next war and not focus on the last war. And so the protection program does exactly that. We did it in uh, twice in the technology crash in the 2000 to 2002 period. Uh, we did it in 2008, obviously, when the markets crashed and the S&P was down 40% one year. We did the protection program in 2015, and then we also just did it recently here in 2020. So we don't do it that often. So then I've had a number of people tell me the market's going to crash in the fall. Now, first of all, let me just say there's no evidence that it's going to crash. So until we see evidence, and evidence would be downward moving markets, I market looks to be going up to me. So, and it's up again today with the Dow actually leading for the first time. It's up about 270 points. So um, could we possibly be in a position where that protection program that we are engaged in at times needs to be executed twice in the same year? Well, we did it in February through May, essentially. You know, could we have a market decline starting now, today, and have a three-month swoon again and get back in? Possible. I'd say it's probably unlikely, 
but it's entirely possible, but I, unlikely. So we've never had a year where we've done it twice in the same year. So let's hope we don't break that record. I, th okay. I think people like to predict. They like to try to make makes it feel like they're in control. Um, and I think the key that people are focusing on is the election. Um, and, and the election definitely does cause volatility in a normal year. And this is uh, 2020, which I think people have kind of jokingly called, you know, 2012-esque. It's just been a crazy year. Um, you know, I, I think people are kind of looking at that as another focal point of, oh, my gosh. And they predicted that back in 2016 they thought the markets were going to crash and they went in the opposite, the opposite direction. So, you know, I had to always caution people, and that's why we, Brian's mentioned it several times. We're not in the prediction game. Uh, we're going to watch the trends. Like Brian said, the trends are continuing up. We're going to keep, you know, keep with the markets on the upside. Uh, and if we start to see those trends change, we'll start to make tweaks. But uh, trying to make predictions is a dangerous game, especially in this, uh, I feel like, in this uh, current year we're in. COVID year, yeah. Well, and then uh, just for the record, we have had a V-shaped recovery. Everyone talked about, will we have a V-shaped recovery? And everyone decided we wouldn't and all that. Well, realistically, in the market and market price movement, we really have had a v-shaped recovery we went straight down and we basically have come straight back up so uh unfortunately the economy and all the metrics in the economy the gross domestic product and all those numbers we're not seeing a v-shaped recovery we talked about if you look at it on a graph it's like you got the left side of the v but about halfway up and the next side of the v it goes sideways and that's what do we call that the nike swoosh or something like that or every square root the square root, yeah, that's a square root symbol. Uh, so that's what we're seeing. But then we did see on the economy the durable goods numbers blew through the roof recently, Chris, right? Yeah, 11.2% a jump in July, and that's a third month increase in a row, uh, which is positive. I mean, it started, you got to remember, everyone's got to remember, it started from a very low uh, standpoint during the depths of you know March, which is kind of the bottom of the COVID uh, kind of pandemic. Uh, but, you know, it was led by, uh, we had military, which it's always, they're always kind of a factor in there, but also motor vehicle sales uh, really led the gains. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's positive. It's a positive, uh, I think, movement there. And, um, you know, any trend, even though, once again, we talked about this going back is, you know, we're going to see this bottom. And then what the important thing to focus on is trends. And that's mm -hmm. why we're trying to focus on these trends. And as long as we continue to trend in the right direction, it's positive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it could be slow, it could slow down, but as long as it keep, continues to trend there, uh, it's overall pretty good for the U.S. market. Absolutely. So we'll see how things develop. You know, there's a, a, a wide range of different numbers. We got some employment numbers that were a little less positive than people had hoped. Uh, but then we're seeing real, real strong numbers like this auto number that led to the durable goods. Um, Chris, you talked about the housing market and millennials as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think on the last podcast, I think almost a little over a week ago or a little under a week ago, uh, we talked about how the housing market continues to be very strong. Um, and one of the interesting aspects I saw um, or I read about was how the millennial generation is actually starting to now embrace kind of the housing market. And there was concern going back. Uh, three, I would say going back four to three or three to four years ago, uh, that millennials were never going to fully kind of embrace buying or they weren't didn't have the capability to purchase houses because of student loan debt. There was a lot of speculation going around going on around there. And, and it's good to see that we're starting to see uh, that that tick up a little bit uh, this past. So 2019 uh, millennials made up 38 percent of the um, um, home buyers. And that's up from 2015, which was 32%. So uh, positive upticks there. And hopefully if that trend continues, it's an important part of the U.S. economy. Um, you know, that, that's a very, 
uh, important aspect. You have when home ownership happens, you have people building equity in their homes. There's a lot of important factors that lead to uh, growth and prosperity for people. So it's 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 glad I'm glad to see that millennials are starting to finally move in that direction. Um, it's positive that um, hopefully finances are in order for that generation, um, and that people are starting to uh, trend. Hopefully, and we'll start to you know see them take over for the earlier generations, because that's what has to happen. That's an important part of a healthy economy transition. Yes, absolutely. Well, and, and so we're seeing a lot of positive things. What about Hurricane Laura? Yeah, and that's uh, the, the latest uh, joke, I guess you could say, of 2020, where we had two hurricanes in the Gulf. Uh, but Hurricane Laura was the biggest one, and it did strike uh, west or Last Eastern. night, right? Last yeah, night? It struck last night, and it's already kind of weakened as it's moved inland this morning and overall this afternoon. Uh, it hit eastern Texas and western Louisiana, mm-hmm. um, and it's going to be really interesting. I mean, the winds of this storm were, they, I think they were quoting it as unsurvivable with the storm surge and stuff. That was kind of the uh, rhetoric thrown around by the media. Uh, but I think it's what's really going to be interesting is where it hit, uh, because as everyone knows, Texas is really known for, obviously, oil production. Uh, you have a lot of fracking refineries there. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see as, as this barrels through there, the damage caused to these refineries, how long are they going to be taken offline? We also have oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico that were probably taken offline mm-hmm. uh, during this. So uh, what we could see as a byproduct of this is a slight spike in gas prices, especially domestic gas prices in the short term. Um, you know, hopefully, I think the last time this happened, um, People were pleasantly surprised with how quick those rigs got back online. I think, you know, they, they obviously have this contingency plan. Uh, but I think that's one thing as, as um, you know, investors to look out for is uh, we may see a slight, a slight spike at the gas pump uh, for the next month or so. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, it's interesting. It's really sad as we've gone through this. We're struggling to get the economy going, and then we go through a hurricane, right? And mm-hmm. this is hurricane season, just the beginning, so it could get worse and worse. Although we have spawned a new nickname. Those uh, former uh, listeners to the Four Star Podcast know that the head of administration for Four Star, who works with Chris and I, uh, is a Laura. So she now has a new nickname. We're going to call her Hurricane. Hurricane. <laughs> So uh, the economy does seem to be gripped with fear, though, in some ways. I was at a restaurant last night with my wife, the amazing Tripti, and uh, we were watching. There weren't many people there. It was nice that we didn't. Uh, we were able to come up to that restaurant and, uh, and get a table right away. I that I was outdoors. It would have taken two hours to get that table last year. Uh, so in the, for the people in the cities, it's nice. But a lot of people don't want to come into the cities. And we're now at the point where a lot of the policies of of some of the governors in the states are creating fear and keeping people from coming to the cities. Lots of different conversations that I've had with with friends that are both city and suburban watchers see the trends away from cities. Um, We'll have some conversations with experts on those trends going forward. But the bottom line is we, we don't think it's the end of cities. There's going to be uh, people coming back to the cities when things finally get, get figured out. But some of the policies are creating some, somewhat more fear than, than needed. There are societies that didn't shut down, didn't use masks, and they've had a similar now experience to what America has, has had. But yet um, the, the countries that did lock down and engage in a lot of policies created uh, a difficult economy, and a lot of it was created by fear. Uh, so we're hearing people from both all sides of the aisle 
you know, my good friend, uh, I would refer people to my good friend Dan Proft, who is a conservative uh, talk show host, but he specifically is focusing on COVID subjects. So he has people from all sides of the aisle, actually, to talk about COVID subjects. And he's on the Salem Radio Network. And I would suggest if you want to learn more about the COVID subjects and how it's affecting they talk a lot about politics, but how it's also affecting the economy. Uh, Dan has some great people on there. Um, I heard some interesting comments from CNN's Don Lemon about how they feel that he feels that now uh, the leaders need to start to make some changes to get the economy going as well, and it's starting to affect uh, the election in some ways. And so now people are taking notice. And also there's an interview which I would refer people to about the cost-benefit analysis of what's going on with COVID. Scott Atlas, who um, has been you know, with the Hoover Institute, uh, has been doing a full cost-benefit analysis. You know, when we went through the initial pandemic, there was fear and panic. And we didn't really look at the cost side of all the things that we were doing. And we now have seen it, right? We put 40 million people out of work. We had the worst GDP quarter ever. We still have lingering problems in industries. A lot of people are still out of work. Certain industries are not even alive. No one can take a cruise ship, basically. So there's a lot of still messy parts of our economy. But if you listen to what Scott Atlas uh, says, they've done a full cost-benefit analysis, and there's um, a number of suggestions they would have about opening the economy and doing it the right way. Uh, so I would refer everybody to that. But it is time to get the economy going. When I talk to uh, many industry people, uh, all different industries, they're all expecting the economy to be pretty good in 21 and further into 22. And many are planning that way. And that's why we're seeing the durable goods numbers looking better. A lot of industries are planning for the future. Uh, I'm, I met with a client who is a restaurant industry consultant. And they're talking about all the many new restaurant concepts that are ready to come out. So clearly, you know, hundreds of restaurants have closed in major cities. Some are hanging on, some can't quite make it. Mm -hmm. But all those restaurant platforms are ready for someone else to start a new restaurant. Unfortunately, there's a lot of loss of, of capital amongst the people who did lose money, but there's a lot of capital out there ready to get into a new restaurant. I think we, we can't forget that we, ended, we entered this pandemic era in the best economy in American history. Um, the banks were strong. Uh, the, the brokerage industry was strong. The auto industry was strong. Everything was strong. Um, investors were doing well. Employ employment was high. Unemployment was low. So there is still a fundamentally strong economy back there to go back to. So I think the restaurant industry thinks they're going to have a record year in 21 and 22. So hopefully all that stuff comes to fruition. Um, um, I think that's probably it on the economy. Chris, anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I think especially, um, and I heard you kind of talked, I think especially with the economics and, and a lot of that stuff, it's um, unemployment-wise especially, we're going to see, I think we're still even seeing the trail end of it. We're still going to see some layoffs. So I think it's still yeah. going to continue, especially a lot of the airlines, I think, are coming out with announcements now, industries that have been hit hard uh, especially. But, you know, I think... We're going to see some, um, you know, some layoffs probably continue over the next month. Uh, hopefully, the goal would be is early 2021. 
see those stop, we want to see the stop, and then as demand starts to tick up again, we want to see those trends continue. And, and it's going to take maybe a year or two to get back there, but like Brian said, I mean, we have that economy there. Yeah. Um, I think the employment, the employment market might take a, a little while to get back because there was so much destruction on that side. Uh, but I think eventually we'll get back there. It, it might take a couple of years, um, but I think as people get used to it, as demand starts back up again, we'll see the trends reverse and move in the other direction, and that'll be positive. Absolutely. So um, let's talk about some interesting things we're seeing out there. Uh, everyone has been doing Zoom conferences pretty much, and I say, I say everyone, maybe not everyone, but many, many people who have never done a Zoom conference before have been doing it. And you know, that's obviously the conference where you can go online and you see a picture of the people you're talking to and everyone's live, you can hear each other. You do a Zoom conference with family, you do it with friends, we do it all day in business with different reviews with clients. And realistically, Chris, we've had this technology for a long time, mm -hmm. right? But people didn't necessarily use it and some people are slow to adopt technology now we were forced to do it right because yep. grandparents weren't seeing their grandkids and and uh, financial advisors couldn't review with their clients and and all this we couldn't be in the room with people for a while some of that is mitigating now but nonetheless we've learned some new tricks so that's a positive thing although the other day the zoom system was down and everyone was in a new kind of a panic not a pandemic panic a zoom panic so, yeah, uh, it, it's funny how um, everyone kind of gets stuck in their ways, I think. And that's why it <laughs> took a big push like this to get people to adopt yeah. you know, virtual conference. But I, I think the interesting thing is, yeah, it shows that, you know, I think moving forward, it's, it's not going to be as complete as many people thought. But the, we're going to definitely have this technology be adopted moving forward. And um, with that, with this new advance and jump in technology that people had to make, uh, there becomes a risk of networks being down, possibly, which could cripple businesses that, you know, maybe go entirely uh, remote. I mean, that would possibly cripple an entire uh, business. But I think also the thing to remember is this also shows that we have to step up our cybersecurity because with that, it brings the potential for, uh, we've seen this in the past with the Chinese and the Russians and then certain other national uh, countries try to attack us. And if we are more technologically um, you know, focused on that and have to be uh, utilizing that, uh, that's another vulnerability or a possible vulnerability that the U.S. has. So I always, you know, you hate to hear that, but it's something you always have to take with a grain of salt. Yeah. Well, and we had to switch to go to meeting, and that's a technology we've had a long time, but then Zoom came in and they took market share. And then we all had to go back to go to meeting for that morning. And there's another system, Google Hangouts and Microsoft Teams. And then Chris reminded me that there's also uh, the Apple FaceTime, which you can do conference calls with well, just smaller groups of people. So mm -hmm. anyway, but it's, it, but it's been a great thing, actually, for uh, Four Star to meet uh, our clients all over the country and all over the world through doing Zoom conferences. And now everybody's comfortable doing it. But we're also looking forward to getting back on the road, which is nice. Um, the other really interesting thing that's changing is as now we get into the fall season and, and schools begin, uh, there's all the debate. Do we let uh, students go remote? Uh, younger you know, students don't do as, uh, as well, so they should be in a classroom. There's a big debate whether, whether the cities open their schools or the states open their schools or not uh, for, the, for the grade school, even high school kids. College students, obviously, a lot of them are a little bit more adult and more mature, and they're able to do college remotely, but there's a lot of things that are lost. So you go to 
you go to Harvard and you know you get a class yeah I mean you could do it by zoom sure but there's all being on the campus mm -hmm. and being in you know in the Harvard yard and uh, having all the meetings with different classmates and going to lectures and being part of the environment you're going to you're going to lose that so there's been big discussions about you know what what can colleges really cost if all they are is an online portal yeah right and so it's probably going to affect the cost of colleges. Now we've been we've been struggling with college costs galloping up ten percent a year for like twenty years now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember paying a couple thousand dollars for undergrad school. Now it's fifty, sixty thousand for some of the top schools, and even the state schools are thirty or forty thousand. Yep. So you wonder uh, how costs went up so quickly. Well, that may change now, because if it's all remote. If it's all by computer, maybe we don't have to pay as much, right? And maybe it makes them wrangle in some of those costs so that eventually when they go back to not being remote, it's hopefully a little cheaper. Yeah. Well, and it may probably won't hurt the Harvards and the top brands because people will still want to say they got a Harvard education or I went to University of Chicago Business School. It's probably not going to hurt schools like that. But a lot of the middle schools and lesser schools without high rankings, it could be very, very damaging uh, for their budget. And then they'll either get subsidized more by their state or the states don't have any money now either. <laughs> so, so maybe not, right? So that could be a big thing that's changing. So anyway, if there's any other trends that folks out there uh, are hearing and they want us to research it or look into it or comment on it, let us know. Um, uh, we're almost done for the day. There's some interviews coming that we're looking forward to. Uh, so we'll have some more interviews on, on future podcasts. Also, uh, just this week, we introduced, we had done a soft introduction of uh, the microsite for yours truly, Brian Castle, and my client base within the four-star firm. We call it the Leadership Matrix. And we, if you look on our website, we have the Leadership Matrix. We also have Optimized Investor, and that's one of our other advisors, Gene Witt. Many of our advisors are going to have their own blog site and communicate in their own way to their clients and prospective clients and other contacts that they have in the industry. So we've, we sent out finally, it's been up there on a soft launch for about a month, but we finally sent out the inaugural post and it was a video of me, yours truly, doing the Ask an Expert show on channel, uh, channel 26. Uh, WCIU in Chicago. They used to film that show at the top of the Board of Trade, right by the series statue, way at the top. If you look down at the end of LaSalle Street, you can see the statue way at the top of the building. And it was a show called Ask an Expert, and I was a young 26-year-old financial advisor with relatively long hair and a really big bushy mustache. So the title of the post was the 80s called they want their mustache back so i would encourage everybody to watch that little silly little clip and that's the inaugural post you're going to see posts on our on our leadership matrix uh usually a couple times a week maybe at least once a day something like that and so we're going to have a lot of interesting financial information for my list of clients and then there will be other posts on there as well there's the optimized advisor and a few others coming online so watch those sites if you want to follow a certain advisor and their different comments now uh, you're welcome to do that but uh, enjoy that silly little clip of me being a 26 year old uh, knucklehead financial advisor anyway um, I think we're done for the day Chris um, everybody don't forget stay tuned for our interview with Mr. J.R. Kirshner um, and I want to remind everybody to ask your friends to subscribe to the four star podcast Spotify Apple iTunes Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts uh, and uh, we're so far, we're still five for five. So hopefully nobody gives us a four. 
Um, reminder again, Four Star has a great team of advisors that are willing to work with clients that need a more comprehensive approach. It also includes the potential for the rotation models we talked about that work flawlessly in, in April and May in uh, that period of time. We hope we don't have to execute on that again, but we're, we're going to protect people when it's time. Uh, also, um, again, don't I keep reminding everyone, if you rate us, please give us a five and give us a perfect rating. Uh, and if you, if you don't like what we're saying, call us, but don't give us a bad rating. <laughs> um, anyway, so on behalf of our great four-star team, my colleague, Mr. Chris Reardon here with me, uh, Chris Wannaberg, uh, Laura Swanson, uh, Brian Principe, Tucker Dunn, uh, Karen Harding and our East Coast Operations. Uh, we will sign off today for the till the next podcast. Stay tuned for the interview. Thank you. Well, hey everybody, welcome back to the Four Star Podcast, and uh, we have with us our special guest interview, uh, our newest advisor to Four Star Wealth Advisors, and his name is J.R. Kirshner. JR is with us today. JR, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Brian. Appreciate Great. it. Well, we, uh, we're thrilled that you joined the firm and wanted to give everybody a chance to learn about you and about your practice and all the great advisors that we have here at, at Four Star. So, JR, um, tell us, why did you join Four Star? Well, uh, Four Star is, is, is the end of a long journey I've had in the advising world. Uh, you know, my, my main thing's always been, always will be, is clients first and four-star wealth is the literal physical embodiment of that uh, which is phenomenal uh, you know I've been in other firms you know I, I'm never gonna cast aspersions but those never really fit exactly right like the hand of the glove thing but um, you know coming to four-star wealth meeting Brian Castle you know bringing you and, 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 and all the other people here it was clearly the place that I should have been <laughs> the whole time well, we're honored, we're honored that you'd say that, and I, we appreciate that. I, I've been teasing JR since we got to know each other. Uh, I call JR the new model because uh, his father was also James R. Kirshner, and uh, I was a rookie back in the early 1980s, 83, 84, and then 85, 86, in the Chicago office of a firm called Payne Weber. And your dad was one of the big players in that office. He was one of the top producers. So I got to know JR's dad many, many years before you were even around, probably. Yeah, right? I, was, I was around. You were around? Yeah, yeah, you were a little boy at the time, yeah. So JR's the new model. And uh, JR, you grew up right in the city, right? I did. I, I grew up uh, downtown, right at actually Lake Point Tower yeah. as, as a kid. And then uh, when I was 10, we moved out to uh, Oak Brook. Oak Brook, which is yeah. nice. And you went to Innsdale Central. But then years later, you went to Indiana University yes. in economics. Tell us about that. Yes, well, it, it was it's a great place. I, I, I still think, and I, I know everyone's going to have their opinion, but I think it's the most beautiful campus, like, ever. It's it just, is. It's just, I love it. It's gorgeous. And um, uh, great people down there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of hard work was put in, you know, and I actually got my degree in four years, uh, which I guess is Amazing. Not, it's hard to do these days. Yeah, not the norm these days <laughs> yeah, anymore. Yeah. So, you know, it didn't require a summer school, but, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I just learned a lot. Great memories. So, so many of the podcast listeners might know that uh, yours truly, Brian Castle, is also an economics undergrad uh, from Northern Illinois University. So economics is in my blood. But you also have a really interesting connection. Your dad was a University of Chicago student, and he worked directly with Milton Friedman. Yes, he, he did take classes with Milton Friedman when he was there. Uh, he got his, uh, his master's in finance. University of Chicago. Yeah, which he was very, you know, proud of. It was great. He actually even said it 
people were saying you should become get the doctorate, but he didn't want to publish because I guess publishing is all about you have to you publish. Know? Yeah, and he just yeah, is yeah, like yeah. I I would rather get to work and not <laughs> to do that. So so yeah. so many of our podcast listeners might recognize that name: Milton Friedman, Nobel Prize winning economist, and also the considered to be the father of the Chicago School of Economics, which is a monetary theory. And uh, and much of what Milton Friedman and his team and his group designed back in those days is now part of American public policy. And yes. so it was quite, to, so to, to have your dad work directly with Milton Friedman, so being his son, sounds to me like you got a daily diet of the Chicago School of Economics and Milton Friedman at your evening dinner table. Yeah, yes, we, we talked about, uh, <laughs> he, he brought his work home, so to speak, not not in a bad way, but in actually a good way. He was happy to teach, you know, uh, his, his children about uh, about uh, what he was doing in, in the world in general. So That's a great background. Yeah. It's a great background. Well, great. So then after you finished up at IU, then you, you got, you started your career in sales. Yes, I did. I actually moved to New Orleans. I was there for about five years, and um, you know, it might, might sound kind of funny these days with all the ads out there, but uh, Oric Vacuum is where I was working as a salesman Excellent. there. Uh, you know, because it, it, and again, because I believed in what what it was. It's a phenomenal product, an eight pound vacuum, that, you know, whatever that kind of stuff. So it was a lot. It was fun. You know, it was tough, but it was fun. Toughened um, you up, huh? It toughened me up. You know, I learned a lot about the sales process, that kind of yeah. thing. So it was good, but it was about people. The people there were great as well, and that's why that's why I hung around for a while. So. And I bet if you were good in sales, you got some good listening skills, which is what a good financial advisor needs. Yes, that would. That's that's the hardest thing, I think. It's a shame they don't have that in high school. There should be a listening class, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> less talking, more listening. More listening, right? exactly. Because yeah, yeah. that that's that's the most what I normally do on any given day is listen. So you know that's. So now on to our business, JR, you pivoted to the financial advisory and you joined your dad yes. at Payne so, Weber, which became UBS. Right? Yes, correct. Okay. Yes. So how would that go? Good. It went very well. You know, uh, we were there uh, for, I think, 12 or 14 years, something like that. And then we, uh, we moved to Merrill Lynch and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Sadly, my father passed while we were there. And then I went after that to uh, Noise and then finally on my way to Four Star, which is... A very big blessing for, for myself. Well, again, we're glad to have you here. And then the other little karma thing is that apparently our suite number at our headquarters is your birthday. <laughs> yes, That's crazy. Okay. Yes. Right. yes. Well, 20th, so. well, good. Well, there's some karma to that. Yeah. So, so tell us about your practice. What kind of practice do you run now and and and, and going forward? Well, you know, my practice is, uh, you know, again, it, it, it might sound hokey, but you know, I work with great people. They're, they're just good people that you can go and chat with or have a drink with or see whatever uh, but but most of them have been or are now you know small business owners so they, they either own their own business or work in a very closely held business and I like that spirit you know they're very hard focused workers and that's you know uh, uh, something that, that I think is very similar to what we do because we're sort of our own small business owners as well so you know and, and, and I find that what I can do for them is take this off of their plate. So like they an outsourced do, advisor. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So they're focused on their business, growing it, you know, servicing their clients, so on and so forth, yep. taking care of it. And this is something they don't have to worry about because they know that I'm the one worrying about it, taking care of it, mm-hmm. making sure they get this, that, or whatever done. Absolutely. So the nurturing nature of taking care of families and all that listening that we talked about. Exactly. That's what it's all about. I mean, if you, if you get that, then, then, then that's, that's, the whole, that's the whole ball of wax right there. 
So, so JR, you, you work with business owners and you try to help them achieve their goals. Um, and we talked a little bit about tax efficiency, right? Yes. I, no matter what I'm doing, even if it's something as simple as they need some extra cash, they want to sell a position or something, I want to make sure it's at least 366 days old, you know, so they get the, the lowest tax. Game, the long-term right. Yeah, so the lowest tax bill they can possibly get. So uh, it, it, efficiency is the, is, is, the, is the big word there as well. Listening and efficiencies, I mean, you get these things going and, and you, you've got most of it. You've got most of what's going on. So, yeah. so we talk about risk and we talked about minimizing risk and, and optimizing their assets. Uh, and that's something you've talked to me a lot about. JR, how much risk should investors take in their portfolio? The minimum amount they need to achieve their goals. Great. I mean, that's, that's the way it is. You want to get, you know, the, the best return you can get for the least risk, but you need to take a little bit, depending on what that is, you know, mm-hmm. here and there for each investor. But yeah, the minimum they need to achieve their goals is the risk that I would, you know, everyone needs It could to be take. more risk, could be less risk, depending on where they yeah. are and their exactly. tolerance. And their exactly. Everyone's different, you know, Good. different ages, different goals they have at that point in life or Excellent. what they're reaching for. So absolutely. Excellent. So with all the financial planning and all the other services, you're able to calibrate that into an orchestrated program for an individual family. Absolutely. Excellent. Absolutely. Excellent. So the bottom line is you work with uh, high net worth families and very often there are private business owners or private businesses in their family. Right? Exactly. Right. Absolutely. Excellent. And I work with the whole family too. In most cases, maybe mom and dad are running the business, and maybe they have younger children or college age children, what have you. Uh-huh. You know, there's actually something when people do talk to me, I, I tell them something they don't know about. You know, with with when you have an 18 year old child that's in uh-huh. college, that, that that people oftentimes forget. But yeah, I, I try and work with the entire family actually as well, which is which is great because it helps. I think even take some of the burden off teaching their children about. Yeah, maybe their maybe their children aren't the wealthy ones, but they they're important to the family and it's all part. So you work with families, not just not just Daddy no. Warbucks or no or Grandma Grandma Wealthy. Not you at work all. Work with everybody. Yeah, I mean, you know, if someone's That's got a, a mowing business or something, and they have you know in their high school years or whatever, and they want to put the money someplace and have it work for them. Okay, there you go. That's so, important. Yeah, it's, it's really important. Well, that's great. And, and JR, I know you busy transitioning your practice over to Four Star, and most of your clients have now arrived. Yes. Um, are you considering now taking some more new clients? Yes, indeed. Yes, I, I am absolutely ready to do that and looking forward to it uh, because with everything that Four Star has to offer, the other firms simply don't. I, I'll, my, the arrows in my quiver have multiplied prodigiously, so excellent. A lot more. So if any of our listeners want to be able to contact you, they can contact you here at the Four Star headquarters and, and our website. And number is three one two six six seven seventeen fifty is our main line, and we can get you right through to Jr. Absolutely. Yes. So this has been a great interview, Jr. Um, can you can you give our podcast listeners just one final message about? about what they should be thinking about in this environment today, kind of mid, or are we mid-COVID maybe? I, I thought we were kind of post-COVID. Maybe the but first third. Now we're <laughs> so what, what kind of message would you give investors here today? Well, the time that we are in uh, is unique beyond words, truly. And uh, I think that now more than ever, that staying in contact with your advisors, you know, whether it's me, whoever it is, staying in contact to minimize any possible mistakes that might be made or, uh, you know, any, any, anything that could be happening out there, that's really important. You yes. know, the communication needs to be 10 times higher than it normally is. So that's the main thing. 
great. That's a great message, and, and I think that's right. I think people need to keep in touch. There's a lot of weird things that are happening right now, so make sure we know what we're doing. Yes, indeed. That's great. Yes, indeed. Well, JR, it's a pleasure. Welcome to Four Star. Thanks for joining. Thank you, Frank. Uh, and uh, thanks for being with us today on the podcast. We appreciate your taking the time. And uh, thanks for you listeners to hear this interview. Uh, don't forget, uh, we are out on the podcast, usually weekly. We'll come up with some interesting ideas about markets and commentary, and then interviews with fascinating guys like J.R. Kirshner. Uh, so don't forget to give us a five for five ranking on any of the services, Spotify or, or wherever you're listening to this. Uh, available in Apple iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, and all the other services. So uh, thanks for being with us, and uh, we look forward to uh, being with all of you again on the next Four Star Podcast with uh, another very interesting interview series from here. Thanks, everybody.